Lord, you are a good and gracious God. And we are grateful to be here today to lift up our hearts and our minds and our spirit to you, Lord. I pray that as we focus now upon your word, that, Lord, you will shine a light on it in our hearts and minds and in our lives, that the truth of your word may be lived in our lives. I pray that you'll speak to each and every one of us a word we need to hear for ourselves. And I ask this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that I've announced my retirement, there is obviously no turning back. And I have to say to you, it's exciting, but it's also a bit unnerving. And when I talk to some people who have gone through this, they've all kind of said it's similar to what they've experienced. So I'm glad to know I'm not the only one feeling a bit out of control. Of course, I have other experiences in my life where I felt out of control. Some caused me less anxiety and some much more. Some were very little and some were very big. Some were good and some were hard. But with each of the experiences in my life, I've tried to meet them with faith. And I've learned that faith is a choice. Because it is a choice to have a relationship with God. But I have to say that faith doesn't begin with my choice or your choice. It begins with God. It begins somewhere in our experience and in our life where we somehow experience God. It looks different for all of us. But in some way, shape, or form, there is an experience of God that we choose not to deny. And that experience grows into greater and greater faith. And it leads us deeper and deeper into God's Word, which of course grows our faith even deeper. But let's make no mistake about it. Faith begins with God. And Psalm 46 is a reminder that faith in God is available to us to meet all the experiences of our life. Most especially when we are out of control. Most especially when we feel somehow that events are taking our breath away or we can't quite get a handle on what's going on. Those times, especially, are times for us to turn to God. Now when we read Psalm 46, it does not tell us what inspired these words. It does identify, though, two challenges 
Two challenges that can put us so out of control it will take our breath away. The first is when the order of nature breaks down and rages against us. And the second is when the order of nations descend into deadly chaos of war. Psalm 46 affirms that even in these things, God is with us and He is faithful. Today's message marks the beginning of a new series called Psalms in Zion. There are eight of them in the 150 Psalms of the book of Psalms. We're going to do six. Now some scholars omit Psalm 46. They say it's not a song of Zion because it omits the word Zion. But other scholars include it because it bears one of the most important marks of every Psalm of Zion. And that is that it affirms God's presence with His people front and center. We're going to learn more about these Psalms throughout these next weeks. But let's dig into Psalm 46. If you have your Bible, feel free to open it up. Turn to it or your electronics. Psalm 46 is actually presented in three sections. Each section is marked by the word Selah. No one is exactly sure what this Hebrew word means, but when scholars look at the Greek Old Testament, they see a word that was translated, and it means pause. It was meant to provide an interlude instructing the musicians and the singers and the people of God to pause and reflect upon the truth and the power in these words. So let's look at these three sections. And let's try to go through this psalm today as it was written with each section afterwards taking a time of pause to reflect upon the depth of its meaning to us. Now section one affirms that God provides us with refuge and strength even through the deadly chaos that can happen from natural phenomena. It begins by expressing confidence in God. And that first verse, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help, is meant to ring out and echo throughout the rest of the verses of this psalm. It encourages us to trust God. I'm beginning in the second verse. The affirmation of God is continued. We are told that we need not fear. And the rest of the verses in this section give us examples of nature out of control. Why can the psalm express 
such confidence in God. Well, the Bible teaches that the Lord created all things. He created order out of chaos. This is what we read in Genesis. We read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God took that chaos and created order. Creation was born. God did this in six days and rested on the seventh. And it was on the sixth day that he created humanity. But the Bible also tells us that when man sinned, not only did his fall from the perfection of his relationship with God, which was perfect harmony, but the creation fell as well. And the perfection of the creation to sustain all things and live in perfect harmony with God and people was broken. The Bible tells us that the creation has been waiting, groaning in travail for the completion of God's redemptive plan. So it too can be restored. God's redemptive plan is to restore humanity, but God also intends to restore creation. That's why we read in Romans 8:22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's waiting for the Messiah. And it is waiting for his triumphant return. We see sin's impact upon creation when disorder and chaos erupt. Typically, creation provides for all that we need. But periodically, things rise up that cause creation to be destructive and dangerous for us. There are hurricanes, tornadoes, torrential downpours, flooding, earthquakes, tsunamis, drought, famine, unbelievable heat waves, and unspeakable cold. They threaten our very existence. Consider Tropical Storm Barry, which just um, hit landfall down in the Gulf. Louisiana and Mississippi are facing the brunt of it. Roads are flooded, people are stranded, and it's dumping 20 inches of water in a short period of time. The power of nature, even in today's technology, even with all that we know, and all that we can do, we cannot bear up against her. But the psalm tells us not to fear because God is our refuge and strength. He's able to preserve us and he is able to restore order to nature. 
So let's read these first three verses now as they were meant to be read, affirming a radical trust in God and then pausing for a moment to reflect upon it. God is our refuge and strength. Join with me. Let's try it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Section 2 affirms that God provides us with refuge and strength. Even through the chaos that nations make in war. It acknowledges that when nations rage, kingdoms fall. Uncertainty, fear, chaos, and death ensue. It is not just unsettling. It is dangerous. And it's not just during the event of the war, but often the suffering and hardship continues years afterwards. Now, we've not experienced the war in this nation, on this land, for almost 160 years, and that was a civil war. Any memory or threat of war that we may have takes place far away from us Unless, of course, a loved one has gone off to war. Then, in some way, we've gone off with them. There is, of course, one exception for us, and that is the terrorism that exists, that is meant to create disorder and fear. It is hard for us to comprehend the depth of the power of war because we are so distant from it. And yet, when we have seen the pictures of it and heard the stories of it from those who have been in it, we know it must be a living hell. While nations at the war is the backdrop for this section. It begins by affirming a river that runs through the city of God, Jerusalem. And that river brings joy to her people. I don't know, it's hard for me to imagine water bringing me joy. But then again, I'm not a desert person. Those who live in the desert appreciate water. They value water. It's critically important for life. It's scarce. I can understand why it would bring them joy. 
It means life. The river that this is referring to is an underground water system that exists between a spring in Gion in Kidron with the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem. Now, Kidron is not far from Jerusalem. It's just outside. And this spring flows from underneath the ground. Hezekiah, the king, we heard about him in this last series, in the first 12 chapters of Isaiah. He actually built this underground water system between that spring and the pool of Siloam that existed in Jerusalem to make sure that the city always had fresh running water. He built it in particular because he anticipated the siege of his city from the Assyrian king. And once built, they covered it over so no one knew where it was. But it made the city strong. Because when nations would attack, cities were highly fortified. And then nations would lay siege on those cities. Often, they would just wait them out until the water ran out, which would be the first thing they need. And then until the food ran out, which would be the second thing they need. And then the people would give up or they'd be so weak that they'd attack, conquer that city. When Hezekiah built this river that made stream, make happy the people of God, it is speaking about this underground water system that at its source is a gift from God. Why? Why is this important for us to know? It's important because God makes his dwelling with his people in the holy city of Jerusalem. By implication, it is saying that God will not allow anything to happen to them. This again brings to mind King Hezekiah, who, while Jerusalem was under siege by the Assyrians, trusted in the words of the prophet Isaiah, who said that God would take care of them. And on the eve of when the Assyrians were to attack Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was on its last legs, God swept through the camp of the Assyrians, bringing a plague that killed 188,000 soldiers. And the king and what was left of his decimated army returned home. And they were never, ever the same again. 
Some scholars say that because of these verses, it is likely King Hezekiah himself wrote this psalm to commemorate that event. We don't know whether that's true or not. But what this seems to say to us is that there is a special relationship between God and his people. He dwells among them in the city of Jerusalem in this instance. And by implication, he will not allow anything to happen to them. So let's read these verses now together as they were meant to be read, affirming a radical trust in God and and at the end, taking a minute to be silent, to contemplate these. I don't know where your mind goes as you contemplate it, but let the Spirit of God take you to thanksgiving or take you to events in your life that put you out of control or whatever it is, and let God speak into your heart and into your mind this morning. Let's read together. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The third and final section of this psalm affirms that God provides us with refuge and strength against both national and natural powers because he is the sovereign Lord over them and he is with his people. Even though nature can devastate the earth, God is more powerful than nature. He is sovereign over it. And the history of God's people proves it. God preserved his people through the great flood in Noah's time, through the plagues in Egypt, through the raging waters of the Red Sea, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and countless other natural disasters throughout their history. And even though the nations are powerful and their intrigue never ending, God is more powerful than nations. The history of God's people proves that as well. For God preserved them in Egypt. He helped them to take possession of the promised land. He helped to protect them when they were attacked by tribal nations and attacks from Syria and Israel and even the greatest Syria. And while the power of nature and nations may strike terror in the hearts of people. This is not so for God's people. 
For God is sovereign over nature and nations. He is exalted above them. And because of the special relationship that God's people have with him, he provides them refuge and strength. This was true of ancient Israel. And it is true for God's people today who acknowledge that he is Lord. No longer is God's presence confined to Jerusalem. Today, God's presence is provided to all believers. For those who trust in Jesus. And because of that, Jesus sends to those believers the indwelling Spirit, the Holy Spirit. He makes His dwelling with us in our hearts and in our minds. We are never alone as believers. We are never forsaken or abandoned as believers. It doesn't mean that we won't go through shattering events. It doesn't mean that we won't feel out of control. It doesn't mean that things little and small will get beyond us and we have no ability to do anything about it. What it means is that God will walk with us through it. And we will come out on the other side because he is the sovereign Lord. I could tell you of experiences that frighten me, and I'm not easily frightened. But when I feel those things, I affirm that I belong to Jesus. That my trust is in Him. And I affirm that nothing can harm me or hurt me unless Jesus allows it. And if He does, then I know it's for a reason. And wherever that leads to, I will go because I know that Jesus will be with me. And I can tell you, fear leaves me every time I make that affirmation. Every time. Because God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He makes his dwelling with us, even now. And even in the eschatological age to come, when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new holy city, God will dwell among his people. So let's read these final verses as they were meant to be read, affirming a radical trust in God. 
and pausing at the end to consider and reflect upon those words. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So what does this mean for us? Well, from time to time, we all have experiences. We all find ourselves in events where we can do nothing about it. They are beyond our ability to control them. Like nature's fury or nations raging in war. But regardless of the scope and the intensity of those experiences, we need not fear. For God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. He is exalted and sovereign over all things. He is the Lord Almighty who is with us. He is our fortress and our strong tower. He can and will preserve us. Here's the big idea today. No matter what you may face or what we may face together, we can exercise radical trust in God because He is our refuge and strength, a very present help, and He is always with us. I hope and pray that these are not just words but experience that we can claim for ourselves. I know that there are many here today who can testify to God as a refuge and strength. And as I close, I want to tell you the brief story of one man's testimony. In 1527, somewhere between there and 1529, Martin Luther wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's based upon Psalm 46. The theology of the hymn is the same as the theology of Psalm 46. It speaks of the faithfulness of God to his people. But for Luther, this was not just a hymn. It was his testimony to God's faithfulness to him. Seven years earlier, Luther had posted 95 theses against the papal injustices in Wittenberg, Germany. It created such an uproar that it became known as the Protestant Reformation. Three and a half years later, 
Luther stood before a religious tribunal in the castle at Wartburg, Germany. And he was on trial for his life. And the tribunal gave him 24 hours to recant or face death. The next day, when Luther came before them, he apologized for his tone, but he refused to recant. The transcript reads that he said, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils because they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. So help me God. Amen. Later in his collected works, Luther would write that he said, here I stand, I can do no other. So help me God. Amen. God did help Luther. And he saved and preserved him from certain death. Not from infidels, nor murderers, nor thieves, but from the church. The church that would condemn him to death. A mighty fortress is our God is not just an affirmation of Psalm 46 and of the faithfulness of God to his people. It is the personal testimony of Martin Luther who had no power to deliver himself, but trusted in the faithfulness of God. This morning as we close, we sing his song. We sing his testimony. And as we do, I invite you to consider his words. They are meant to encourage us. They are meant to help us exercise radical trust in God because he is our refuge and strength, a very present help who is always with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being that mighty fortress, that strong tower. We thank you for your strength and for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things and that you have power over all things. We thank you that you make your dwelling with us and you promise to preserve us as your people. And that, Lord, we may always turn to you. So I pray that you will help us as individuals and help us as a church to trust in you and your strength, to grow in our faith as a result, and to trust your word, which is true. And all God's people said, amen.